redemption plan for man, this passage this morning is really the tool, the vessel, and how he is going to accomplish it. You know, Isaiah 53 is a really interesting chapter, and it's a really interesting prophecy because really it's more so than just a prophecy. Isaiah chapter 53 is the life and times of Jesus Christ 700 years before he is even born. Everything we see in Isaiah 53 is the life of Christ. It's his everyday life. It's the way he died. It's what his death means for us. No, this is more than just a prophecy. It is the story of who Jesus was And it's a story of what he represented to the people and what he meant to the people and what he means to us today. And so that's where we're going to start this morning in Isaiah 53. We're going to start in the first three verses. And it says this, Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. And so when we start Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 1, it kind of starts with this lament. The people are going to refuse to believe their message about the servant. They're going to refuse to believe in the servant. And people are going to refuse to believe in the strength of God. And we see this play out all through Scripture, right? Like over and over and over and over again, God's power is shown in full display. And yet over and over and over again, God's people constantly choose to ignore him. They constantly choose to go after other gods. They constantly choose to make the wrong decisions. And when you read in the New Testament, who refuses to believe in the message about Jesus Christ? The religious leaders, right? The Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they refuse to believe. We just went through the book of Acts, and we see it plain as day in the book of Acts over and over and over again. This is Jesus whom died for our sins. We're going to kill you. We don't want to hear what you have to say. We don't believe in what you have to say. Over and over and over again, they preach the message, and they refuse to believe. God's people refuse to believe over and over and over. And the sad thing is sometimes, you know, we're, we have God's word laid out in front of us and we refuse to believe the message. And people refuse to see the strength of God. And God has done so many amazing things. He's parted Red Seas. You know, he's delivered his people over and over and over again. And yet his power and strength just isn't enough for some people, Right? And then we move into verse 2, and verse 2 is quite the contrast to verse 1. In verse 1, we see the, the strength of God, the arm of the Lord. It reveals strength and power, and yet in verse 2, it says he grew up like a shoot, or he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. If verse 1 shows us the power and strength of God, verse 2 shows us an image of humiliation and weakness. What they're talking about in verse 2 is the fact that this servant was born into poverty. Sounds a lot like Jesus, right? He was born into poverty in Bethlehem. He was raised in Nazareth. 
And remember what people said about Nazareth, that they meant nobody liked Nazareth. I mean, that's what Nathaniel tells us in John 1.46. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Like, nobody liked Nazareth, and this is where this man is from. Then it tells us he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. You see, he wasn't royalty, at least not in the way they were thinking. He wasn't a king, at least not in the way they were thinking. I mean, he wasn't handsome. At least he wasn't handsome like David. First Samuel 16, 12, it said, So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. David's a handsome man. They'll listen to David. He's, this servant's not as handsome as him. He's not tall or imposing like Saul. First Samuel 9, 2. Kish had a son named Saul, as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel, and he was a head taller than anyone else. But this servant, he just didn't have the appeal that these other people had. There was nothing about him that people would want to listen to him, would want to hear what he had to say. Then it says in verse 3 that he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Why? I mean, they treat him horribly. This is a servant of God here, and they treat him horribly. They despise him. They reject him. Why did they do this? They did this to the Son of God. Why? Why? Would they do this? Well, think about it like this. The religious leaders, they were anticipating a Messiah, but they weren't anticipating the Messiah they got. No, they were looking for a political Messiah. They were under the oppression, the hand, the thumb of Rome, and they wanted out of it. And they thought when the Messiah came, he was going to deliver them, but he was going to deliver them out of the hands of Rome, out of the hands of their enemies. And that's not exactly the Messiah they got. No, they got a Messiah who, yes, he was there to save them, but not in the way they were expecting. So why did they treat him like they treated him? Well, I like how Wiersbe, Warren Wiersbe puts it, they were ashamed of him because he did not represent the things that were important to them. You see, Jesus came, but Jesus did not come to represent the things that were important to these religious leaders. No, they wanted somebody who uh, agreed with their, their likes, the things that they wanted, and Jesus didn't do that. So what are these things? Well, Wiersbe goes on to mention what these things are, and there's a lot of big chunks of Scripture, and so instead of reading it, those are in your bulletin or on the uh, version app for you to read if you would like to later on. But here are some things that they were into. For example, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they loved wealth. They loved wealth. They wanted money. They wanted wealth. Luke 16, 14 tells us that they were all about their wealth. But not just about their wealth. No, they were also about social prestige. They cared about who they ate with, who they did life with, the people who were around them. They didn't want to be around the sick, the lame, those who were different than them. No, they wanted to, they wanted to be with those who were wealthy, who were uh, well off. They wanted to be with those who had a similar social prestige. 
Luke 14, 7 through 14 tells us about that. They cared about their reputation. They wanted to be known. They wanted to be seen. They wanted people to look at them and say, those are the people that we should be like. Luke 18, 9 through 14 tells us about that. And they cared about being served by others. Man, if there was one thing Jesus was not, it was not all about being served by others. No, Jesus himself, right? The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. No. And they also cared about pampering themselves. Matthew 16, 21 through 28 tells us about that. And so we see at the beginning of Isaiah 53, this servant of God was going to come, but people weren't going to believe in him. They weren't going to believe in his message. He grew up in a place that was poor. He lived a lifestyle that was poor. He didn't have an appearance of of somebody who was worth following, and they despised him. And so in verse, or we continue into verse 4, and we're going to look at verses 4 through 6. And verses 4 through 6 is really the heartbeat of Isaiah 53 because it is in Isaiah 53 verses 4 through 6 when we see God's plan revealed to us. In verse 4 it says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our inequities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the inequity of us all. And so we see here in verse 4, right at the beginning, it says, Surely he took up our pain. The word here, uh, took up, the words here, took up, it's translated to mean to carry. To carry. And so this servant carried their pain. He carried their pain that, res- or that came from sin. He carried their pain that came from the results of sin. He carried their pain and bore our suffering. The word suffering in verse 4, it's translated as sickness, and it's referring to an illness of the soul. He came, he carried our pain, and he bore, our, or he bore our illness, our sickness in our soul. He came to bear the weight of that sickness that we have been going through that came from sin. And then it tells us that he was considered punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. And you see, Israel, they thought this man was being afflicted and punished because of his blasphemy, right? Like when you read through the Gospels, the Pharisees, they believed that this man was being punished when he went to the cross. He was being punished because of his blasphemy. He was saying things that they didn't think were right. They were, he was saying things that didn't seem true to them, and they thought, man, God is going to punish this man for the blasphemy that he's speaking. But no, it's not the blasphemy In fact, what it really is, is the judgment placed on him by God, which was the weight that was needed to be placed on him because of our sin. No little thing, no one-time little sacrifice, little sacrifice was going to be enough. No, this sacrifice was going to have to be great. It was going to have to be big if it was going to cover the multitude of sin. And so it tells us in verse 5, he was pierced for our transgressions. 
He was pierced for our transgressions. How was he pierced? Well, his hands and his feet were pierced. Psalm 22:16 says, Dogs surround me. The pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. Luke 24, 39 through 40 says, Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones. As you see, I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But it wasn't just his hands and his feet that were pierced. No, it was also his side that was pierced. Zechariah 12:10, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one who mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one who grieves for a firstborn son. John 19, 31 through 34 says, Now it was this day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath. They asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. And so the servant was pierced for our transgressions. What does that word mean, transgressions? Well, the word transgressions means it's those sins that have committed that violate the laws and commands of God. Our transgressions are those sins that we have committed that violate, that go against the laws and the commands that God has given us. So he was pierced for those transgressions, those sins, and he was crushed for our inequities. Inequities are wicked acts and our gross injustices. He was pierced for those things. And then he tells us, or it continues for us, the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. And there is such irony here, physical wounds that were inflicted on this servant, physical wounds in his hands, his feet, his side. Those physical wounds are the exact wounds that will heal our spiritual wounds. You see, we have these deep spiritual wounds that are a result of sin in our life. They are deep, deep wounds inside of us that every single day we struggle with. And it's those physical wounds of the servant that would heal those spiritual wounds. And then in verse 6, it tells us, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the inequity of us all. Now, I'm going to be completely honest with you this morning. I have never owned a sheep before, and I don't really know much about raising sheep. And so if I'm wrong in what I'm going to say, uh, you know, you can correct me. But the way I understand it is sheep tend to, unless there's somebody leading them, taking care of them, it's easy for them to go astray. It's easy for them to be broken up from the pack. It's easy for them to get lost. Um, you know, you can tell me if I'm wrong later. Uh, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a sheep guy, so. Um, but I like the illustration here because like sheep that have gone astray, each of us has turned to our own way. Just as a sheep goes astray, so all of us has gone astray. They've gone their own way. They've ignored the word of God. 
and have chose to do whatever they want to choose to do. If they want something, they go after it. If they want to live a certain way, they'll live that certain way. If they want to do something, they'll do it. And if it goes against God, it does not matter. We want to live our own lives. We don't want to be told what to do. We don't want to be told how to act. We don't want to be told how to live. We've gone astray trying to chase things of this world instead of following after God. And here's the amazing thing. God takes all of their inequities, the mistakes they've made when they've gone astray, he takes all of those inequities, and instead of throwing them back on the people, he throws them onto the servant. The punishment that they deserve, they're the ones who choose to do what they do. They are the ones who choose to make the mistakes that they make. They are the ones who decide, I'm going to choose not to listen to God. They deserve the punishment, and yet God takes those punishments, and instead of throwing it back on the people who deserve it, no, he says, I'm going to put it on the servant. And it's the same for us. He's taken the sins, or he's taken the inequities that we've chosen to live with, to chosen to live by, and throw them, instead of throwing them back on us, he's thrown onto the servant. And then in verse 7, he continues in the verse 10, says, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of this his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. And so we see right here from the beginning of verse 7, he was oppressed and afflicted. What do these words mean, oppressed? Well, I like how John Piper talks about this word oppressed. He says, the word is most often used in the Old Testament of what taskmasters do to make the life of their slaves miserable. They demand that they make bricks without straw. They press them hard and bring a terrible sense of pressure and burden and stress and tension and oppression on the slaves. Jesus experienced this in the way his enemies continually stalked him and finally captured and tormented him. And it's true, when you read through the Gospels, you see this is the case. Constantly, they were testing this man, waiting for him to stumble. They were watching him. They were following him. They wanted to make sure as soon as this man tripped up, they were going to call him out for it. They were ready to kill him. They had been plotting over and over and over again, how do we kill this man? Everything was a trap to them. They were trying to bring this man down. He was oppressed by these people. They did not want him around. And so they finally capture and torment this man. And it says he was afflicted. To be afflicted, it meant to be humiliated, mocked, scorned. And that's what they did, right? If you're really the son of God, do this. They mocked him. They, they scorned him. And it said that he was led to the slaughter like a lamb. And as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. 
He knew. He knew what was coming. He knew. He knew what was about to take place. He knew that there was no escape from this. There was no way out from this. It had to happen. It had to happen. So he was led to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. I love this illustration, a sheep before its shears. You know what happens when a sheep is sheared? They take off the wool, right? They shave off the wool of a sheep. Same thing happened to Jesus Christ. Think about it. What all he lost in that moment. He stripped of everything. He stripped of his clothes. He stripped of his power. He stripped of his friends. He he stripped of divine protection. All of these things. In that moment, he loses all of these things. He is stripped down like a sheep before the shears. And what does he do? He argues. He fights against them. He says, no, I'm not going to go through this. I have done nothing wrong. You are humiliating me. You are mocking me. I choose not to listen to you, and I'm going to fight back. No. It tells us that he remained silent. He didn't fight back. He didn't argue. He didn't throw a fit. He didn't try to run away. He remained silent. Matthew chapter 26, 62 through 63, he was silent before Caiaphas. In Matthew 27, verse 12, he was silent before the chief priests and the elders. In Matthew 27, 14, and John 19, 9, he was silent before Pilate. And in Luke 23, 9, he was silent before Herod Antipas. Over and over and over again, he's silent and he takes the punishment, he takes the slaughter. And it says, yet who of this generation protested? None none of them protested. His friends fleed from the scene. None of the people were saying, no, you know what? Let's go ahead and release this man. No, they were cheering that a murderer might be released before this man. Nobody was protesting this. And it says he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people. He was punished. He dies. That's what that means. He dies. He's cut off from the land of the living. He dies a death that would be humiliating for a servant of God. No, he dies a death that was reserved for the worst of the worst. And then it says, he was assigned a grave with the wicked and and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Man, if it were up to these, you know, soldiers, he would have just been thrown in a grave with the rest of the wicked. But, you know, he ends up being placed in a nice tomb. Even though he had done no violence, he had done nothing wrong, there was no deceit in his mouth. But here is the good news. After all of this stuff that has taken place in verse 10, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. So here is the deal. Last week we talked about God had this plan. He orchestrated this plan in Genesis 3, and he was going to see it all the way out to fulfillment. He was going to send the offspring of Eve. He was going to send his offspring to be the the reconciliation between us and God and that was the plan and in this passage we see the fulfillment of this plan it was the Lord's will to cause him to suffer it was the Lord's will for him to go through this it had to happen this way there had to be a major sacrifice to atone for our sins without it we are in trouble it required something great 
But here's the good news. Though it seemed like he had met his end, we see that he is resurrected. He will see his offspring and prolong his days. What does that mean? His offspring is us. We are the offspring. We who believe in him, who put our faith in him, who put our trust in him, who live for him, we are the offspring and we will see him again. And it says that his life would be prolonged. He lives forever. He reigns forever. He is eternal. He died. He rose again and he will live forever. And he lives at the right hand of his father every single day. He is there. He is alive still. He is alive still. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. The will of the Lord to crush Satan, to bring an end to the schemes, the lies of Satan. His plans will prosper in the hands of the servant. And so, we see this story played out in Isaiah 53, the life of Christ. Now, if you have your Bibles, flip over to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 22 and read through verse 25. And we see this servant, the story played out through the eyes of Peter. And this is what he says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22 through 25. He says, He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins and in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you are like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And so... Peter starts in verse 22 by telling us this man, this servant of God who is sacrificed for us, this man committed no sins. He was perfect. He, he was on this earth, he walked this earth, and not once did he sin. Not once. Scripture tells us this in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. 1 John 3.5, But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. The sins of the world all thrown on to one man who had no sin. And in verse 23, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. He took everything that happened to him. Man, I do not have a very high pain tolerance. I can't even imagine what he went through. I get a headache and I'm moping around. and uh, I can't imagine all of the things he went through. He didn't retaliate. He made no threats, and instead he entrusted himself to him who judges, or judges justly. That means he entrusted himself to the will of the Father. 
and we know he does. Father, if there's any possibility, let this pass from me, but let your will be done. Whatever happens, let your will be done. He entrusted himself into the, the, the plan, into the will of his Father who just, or judges justly. And so what does he do? He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. The servant went to the cross for us, the worst punishment reserved for the worst of the worst, pierced through his hands and his feet, hung on that cross, the worst of the worst. And I love that Peter is here, the one mentioning it. He knew how severe the cross was, and he knew how important the cross was. That's why when it's his turn to die one day, he tells him, if you're going to hang me on the cross, you're going to do it upside down because I cannot die the same way as my Lord and Savior. That he goes to the cross, the worst of the worst for us. so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness, so that we can die to sin, so that we can put our sinful life behind us and we can live for righteousness, live the kind of life that God calls us to live, live the kind of life that God commands us to live. And it is by his wounds that we have been healed. Again, his physical wounds for our spiritual wounds. And he says, For you are like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You were like a sheep who once was going wherever, uh, for whatever reason. You were scared, you were moved apart, you got lost, you got separated. You were doing your own thing. You were choosing not to listen to me. You were choosing not to listen to my word. You were choosing not to follow what I was telling you to do. But guess what? I fixed the problem. I sent my son for you. He died on the cross for you so that you can return to the shepherd. You can return to the overseer of your souls, the one who cares for you, the one who loves you, the one who knows what's best for you, the one who wants to take care of you. We were being led astray. We were going astray. And now we can return to the overseer of our souls. And so here is the thing this morning. If there's one thing, one thing I want us to take from this, it's this. It is by his wounds we are healed. It is by his wounds that we are healed this morning. It is by his wounds, deep, painful, agonizing wounds, that we are healed. And this is so important that, that we should focus on this. We should think about this often because when we focus on this, when we think about what it is that he has done for us, it is in this that we realize how we fix our problem. Because here's the deal. There are so many of us living our lives just trying to make up for our sinful nature. We're trying to make up for the mistakes we've made. We're trying to atone for the problems that we've, we've had. We're trying to atone for the sins that we've committed. And if we think that if we're just good enough, and if we do enough service projects, and if we, we love people enough, if we do all of these things, somehow all of these things can heal what is broken in us, and that is not the case. There is only one thing that can heal the broken in us, and that is Jesus. That is the only thing that can heal the broken that is in us. There's nothing we can do to make up for what we have done, and we don't have to because God sent his son for us. His Physical wounds heals what has been broken, what is spiritually sick in us. 
700 years before Jesus was even born, it was prophesied that he would do this for us. And guess what? God lived out his plan. He weaved it throughout Scripture, all over the place, in the old and in the new. We see this plan come to fruition, and it comes through Jesus Christ. His wounds have healed us. And so I'm going to ask the worship team to come up this morning. And as they do, if you'll allow me, I want to go back to Isaiah 53 one more time. Isaiah 53, and I want to go back to verses 4 through 6 one more time. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our inequities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the inequity of us all. And so maybe you are here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, man, I have been spending my whole life over and over and over again just trying to do whatever it is I can to make up for, to atone for this brokenness that I feel inside of me, this sin that I feel living inside me. I've been trying so hard to just do enough to make myself feel better. And here's the case, or here's the deal, you don't have to live that way because there's nothing you can do. Acts tells us there is only one name on heaven and earth in which man can be saved, and that is Jesus Christ. There is only one thing that can heal this brokenness that is in us, and that broken, the, the thing to heal that is Jesus Christ. His wounds have healed us. And so this morning, if you are living that way, maybe what you need to do is you need to give your life to him, that you need to turn that over to him. And in your connect cards around you, there's not, you can write you know you can ask questions you can write down what that decision and we'd love to talk with you and this morning if you'd love to talk i'd love to talk with you as well or maybe you're here this morning and you're reading isaiah 53 and you are thinking to yourself man every single day i take this for granted and let me tell you this morning you are not alone every single day i'll be completely i take for granted what god has done for me every day i take for granted what God has done in my life, what he has done in all of our lives, what that cross represents. And we get so busy, we get so bogged down with everything that's happened around us that every single day we take for granted just exactly what God has done for us. And maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, man, I have just been so disconnected from God. I've been so apart from God and I've been so focused on everything that's happening around me that I just lose track of what God has done for me. You are not alone. We all struggle with this at some point. That, that You just feel disconnected. And so maybe this morning what you need to do is just reconnect with him. Right where you're sitting, you can bow your head, you can pray, you can talk with God, you can reconnect with him. And if you need to pray with somebody, I'd love to pray with you this morning. And he took our sins. He bore our suffering. He carried our pain. His wounds have healed us. This morning, if you have a decision to make, please don't leave here without doing so. If you've been battling this brokenness within, go to the cure. 
that's Jesus Christ. And if this morning you have just felt disconnected and you have felt like you have taken for granted what God has done for you, guess what? There's still time this morning for you to reconnect with him. And so this morning, if you have a decision to make, I pray that you would do so as we stand and we sing.